73. If you have your Bibles, we'll go to Psalm 73. Uh, we just wrapped up our study through the first Peter. If you're just joining us, you missed like eight weeks, but it's all good. We're, we're now in Psalms, a new, new summer. summer. Uh, I, I just love Psalms. And every time I get, I get an opportunity to take breaks from books, I just come back to Psalms. And I think Psalm 73, uh, I find it very interesting. Psalm 73 is one of the more, more interesting Psalms. Um, and we'll go over what that means. But Psalm 73, we'll, we'll go over the whole Psalm. But uh, for our scripture reading, we'll read from verses 1 to 3. And then we'll read, we'll jump to verses 16, and we'll wrap up the rest of the chapter. Uh, We'll read together. Let me read for us, uh, starting from verse 1, Psalm 73. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. As for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you arouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was Embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was British and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom I have in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of your works. Amen. Lots of emotions. If you, walk, if you walk through the book of Psalms, there's lots of different emotions. Sometimes it'll make us uncomfortable. Past decade, there has been significant increase. If you sort of think about this idea of emotional health, there is much conversation around emotional health and emotional health well-being. But growing up, you know, I grew up in the, in the 80s and the 90s. I'm a little older than some of you guys. I... I grew up in a different era where emotional health wasn't, we didn't have a language for all of these things that we have, we currently have. And I grew up loving home, you know, my parents might be watching this, loving home, parents, mom and dad, you did great. Uh, Yet, I think one of the things I realized, marrying Lois and my wife, uh, you know, starting to be a therapist, and I was just sharing, I realized I'm not very good at processing my emotions. I'm either happy or angry. That, that's it. I'm really happy. I'm really angry. And I don't, sometimes I don't even know why I'm angry. Like my wife would tell me like, tell me, I think you're upset. I'm like, I'm not upset. I'm not upset at all. Right? I'm upset because you're telling me I'm upset. Right? Like these conversations. Um, Korean American guys are known to have this anger, like Korean anger. Like that's, a, that's a thing for us. Um, and, and I realized because my parents, they grew up they were born not too long after the Korean War. 
right? Like if you sit down and hear all of our parents' stories, it's sort of daunting what they had to go through. So really for for my parents growing up in that crazy sort of post-war and then immigrating to America with nothing, like you hear these stories about immigrant bags, like four immigrant bags and like $20, it's like our story. Life was all about survival, like my sister and I, I think growing up, we didn't realize when we were young, but a, a lot of, we, we felt like from, since we made that move to America when I was like 10 to like 20, whatever, I just felt like we, we had to survive. That was sort of life. And, and so most of my life, I really didn't know how to express my emotions. Sometimes I didn't even know what I was feeling. Until like Lois is like, hey, you're feeling this. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm happy. That's good. Um, so that's sort of my background. And maybe some of you guys grew up in that kind of home where emotions are not, in, were not allowed to be shared. On the other side of the spectrum, some of us grew up in homes. Some of you guys grew up in homes where emotions dominated your homes. Everyone shares how they feel all the time. Everyone's feelings are asked and validated. Right? It's the main it's the, emotions are the, the main driving factor of all the family decisions. And we know that isn't very healthy either, right? We see emotions that are ignored and emotions that are just always, emotions are everything. And I think the Psalms, one of the wonderful things about Psalms, it, it offers us a middle road where we are able to recognize our emotions yet they don't simply dominate or dictate every decision that we make. Some have referred to the book of Psalms, perhaps that's why some have referred to the book of Psalms as a songs of human soul. That sounds beautiful. Songs of human soul. And through these wonderful songs, we encounter gratitude. We encounter profound sorrow and lament. We hear desperate, desperate pleas for God's deliverance. Often David crying out to God. And we see all of that in maybe one psalm, right? One psalm. Anger, gratitude, thankfulness, anger again. Um, but there is this profound comfort and solace. Every time I study through the book of Psalms, there's this wonderful comfort. I, I, I get comforted knowing that I'm not alone in this life's complexity. As I walk with Jesus, I know that I'm not alone when I'm angry or doubtful or fearful, upset. Actually, others have gone through this. Great uh, men and women have experienced these emotions and these questions as they walk with Jesus. And in fact, just the fact that Psalm 73 is in the Scripture along with other Psalms, it's, it's clear that God has given us the language and the model of what it means to truly feel and process and really bring these emotions before God. So if you're struggling to pray these days for whatever reason, maybe something has happened, you're disappointed about something, or you heard a news of someone being sick and you're worried, If you're just struggling to come before God, I want to encourage you to borrow some of the words that are found in the book of Psalms. And simply, if you can't pray, just open up to Psalm 23. Open up to Psalm 73. Open to Psalm 1. And just make this your prayer. 
it's amazing prayers that we can, we, can, we can borrow from, right? So a little bit more about Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is written by, not David, most of the Psalms are written by David, but a man named Asaph. Everyone say Asaph. He's a Levite, right? The guys that were taking care of the temple, who was in charge of actually organizing and leading worship for the congregation. And he led actually under King David and also his son, King Solomon. So he's a man who served the Lord for many years. And in Psalm 73, we don't know exactly when he wrote this psalm. Asaph, this mighty leader, worship leader, he looks back at a time of personal crisis. And he writes honestly about a time where he almost walked away from his faith. Because when he saw, it it, it tells us we'll walk through that, but when he saw that the wicked, the bad, who he considered to be wicked and bad, seemed to be doing really great in life, he began to doubt. Doubts started to creep, creep in. And he sensed this growing gap between his belief in the goodness of Yahweh and the realities of the world around him. His theology and what was happening in his life, he felt this gap. If anything, I think we ought to appreciate the sheer honesty and rawness of the prayer that we find in Psalm 73. Because if we're honest, following Jesus will not always feel like, what's your favorite psalm? Psalm 23 will not feel like, Lord is my shepherd, right? We love that psalm. But we know if you've been Christian longer than a day or month, you realize, yeah, there are seasons of Psalm 23, but there are seasons of Psalm 73 as well. And Psalm 73, again, is a comforting reminder that anger, doubt, and fear These emotions are not put aside by God. They're not ignored by God. But really, it shows us that these emotions, they have a place in our conversation with God. And these Psalms helps us process these emotions in a way that will strengthen our faith. So verses 1 to 3, just open up Psalm 73 and we'll walk through it. It gives us the occasion for the psalm, right? He begins in verse 1 with this statement, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. That's a true statement. Very theologically correct statement. Yet he says, I know that's what the scripture says. But he says in verse 2, I know that's what I should believe. But verse 2 he says, As for me, there was a time as I was following Jesus, I was following the Lord, Yahweh, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. He was saying there was a time when he was almost done with following God. Or at least done with believing that God is actually good. And again, verse 3, when he saw the wicked prospering, wicked people doing well, living the good life, when godly people seem to be struggling, right? Wicked people living their life with not a, not a single care in the world. Ver, a message version of this passage. Uh, I, I love the message ver- version. Verse 11 to 14, Psalm 73, message version says, he asks, what's going on here? 
Is God out to lunch? Nobody's tending the store. The wicked get by with everyone. They have it made, piling up riches. And he says, I've been stupid to play by the rules. He's like, I've done everything right. At least I feel like I've done everything right, yet forget about it. God doesn't really care because wicked seems to be much doing much better than me. And, and then he goes on in verses 3 to 12 of our passage, a huge chunk of this prayer describing in great details the prosperity of the wicked and how that kills him. But if you continue to read and sort of think about what he's really talking about, he's not simply angry at the wicked. Yes, he is, but that's not the only anger here. If you look closely to his words, who is he really angry at? He's really angry at God. That's his anger, right? Angry at God for allowing the wicked, the bad people to prosper. Angry that God isn't doing his job. Is he out to lunch? Who's, who's, who's looking at the world? And, and there's this anger and frustration. At least that's how he felt. Anyone felt angry towards God at one point in your journey? <laughs> sure. Thank you for being honest. I, I, sometimes I get, you know, when I feel these emotions of frustration with God, I feel like I need to, I need to put it away. Because I feel like I shouldn't feel that way. Again, I already don't know how to process emotions very well. My emotions with God, especially when things are hard, I'm just like all over the place, right? And I, I, I kind of see David. His emotions are all, usually all over the place when he's praying. When he's all over the place. His anger towards God, frustration, it's there. But I could definitely relate to feelings of disappointment, ang- angry, anger, and frustration with life, but with God at times. And I think it's just natural as we follow Jesus and we experience different people, different experiences, it's natural for us to feel frustrated, angry, and upset, even at God. And again, when we look, take a closer look, we realize these emotions are not simply about, you're not simply mad about your spouse. So you, you get into an argument with your spouse. You're not simply mad at your spouse. You're simply, you, 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 you follow that logic. And you're like, God, why'd you send this woman? I've said that before. <laughs> why'd you send this woman? Right? Why'd you send this man? Why'd you let me marry this person? And admitting these emotions can be difficult. It is difficult. It might be even scary to confront how we truly feel about God. Some of us just want to put it away. Let's just put it away. Put it away. So we don't have to deal with it. As a result, we often suppress feelings of doubt, fear, and anger until they eventually overflow. You cannot hide these things. They'll come out leaving us unsure of how to handle them, right? So in our family, right, we don't share a lot of emotions, right? We do a lot of things together. We're very busy. But like between my parents and I and my sister, when we are honest, when we spend a lot of time together and, you know, you, you get to the point where you're like, I can't handle this anymore. When we try to share emotions, it's, it goes from like zero to 100 very quickly. 
and it gets really messy. Everyone's crying and like everyone's angry, right? Because, we, because for so many years, we suppressed so many different things. In the same way, we could be doing that with God. And again, Psalms like Psalm 73 and other Psalms offer us a valuable lesson. It's actually healthy, to be honest. Even it's healthy to be messy in our conversation with God. And, and, and really, friends, we don't have to pretend like we're okay when we're not okay. Right? In fact, it's better to be open and sincere because only then God can work with you on these emotions. And God already knows what is in our hearts. So if, if we explore the Psalms, we'll find many examples of prayers expressing lament and protest. This is actually one of the categories of different Psalms that we have. And lament and protest is a category. It's a big category. Many of the Psalms are under this category of lamenting and complaining before God. And what's, again, truly amazing is that God allowed these honest prayers to be included in the Scriptures. Let's take comfort in the fact that it's okay not to be okay. In those difficult moments, we can turn to the Psalms as a guide to process our emotions. So so let's now look at how does the psalmist, Asaph, process his emotion. First, he looks looks deeper into his own doubt. He, He really examines his own doubt. Verse 3 as he thought more about what he was feeling, he says, it's not that simply the wicked were doing really well in my life. It's that I became envious of their success. He's brutally honest. He's doing so much better than many of us. He's, He's honest. He says, I wanted what they were enjoying. Yeah, they were wicked and they were prospering. But you know what really killed me? Man, I wanted their life. I wanted what they were enjoying. Their lives seemed so much easier, so much more fun, so much less complicated. And... and Asaph says in verse 16, 17, and these emotions of envy and doubt and anger really took a toil on him until, verse 17, this is where things turn, until I went into the sanctuary of God. I went to the temple. He brings himself to the temple. But you know what's really interesting? Remember, it was his job. What was his job? He was the worship director of the temple. He was always at the temple, right? He was the guy who was always up in the front leading people into worship day after day. This wasn't some young believer working out their faith. He was an experienced believer. And he, he still says, I went to the temple. Then he humbles himself, lays down his titles, his position, his experiences. This is God, I'm here. I, 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 I need to talk to you. Not the worship leader ASAP. Not someone who's grown up in the temple. But, but it's me. Just, just me. No title. Forget what I've done in the past. Just me and you, God. I need to have this 
conversation with you. And just as he went into the presence of God and he immersed himself with worship and community, what was happening in the temple? People were worshiping. People were bringing their offerings. People were reading scripture. As he was... He went into the temple and the sanctuary of God. In the presence of God, his perspective begins to be sharpened. His heart begins to realign. And he's reminded once again that God is truly just. And in the end, he realizes, yeah, all these wicked people, they're not going to continue to prosper. Friends, when you and I, when we find ourselves struggling with doubts and anger and questions about God, right? The, the temptation is to say, you know what? I want to take a break from church. I want to take a break from community of believers. I want to distance myself so that I could deconstruct, right? That's, that's a very popular idea, right, in, in our culture. Yet Psalm 73 reminds us it's actually in those moments we shouldn't be removing ourselves from the community of God, the presence of God. It's actually when we are doubtful, when we are afraid, when we are frustrated, when we are angry, it's when it's time to lean in, to bring these things before God. It's, it's in these very moments we need to be ever so committed to corporate worship, right? And the other community of believers to, to worship together, to eat together, to share scripture together, to be able to share honestly about how we are feeling. Right? That's what community is for, to, for us to be able to come and say, you know what, I'm not doing okay. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm upset that this didn't happen. I think I'm, I may be upset at God. And allow this space to be a place where we can be really honest. Not simply say, oh, pray for my job, pray for my kids. I mean, you know, the typical prayer things that we share. Pray for my health, pray for my kids. Your kids are always sick, it's okay. They, they're going to get better. But to, to really dig deep and say, you know what, let me share how, how I'm really doing. Don't allow these emotions to drive you away from God's presence. Let it draw you in. Because contrary to what culture tells us, truth is not found in us. Truth is found in God alone. And in His promise, in His people, and in His body, that's where we find truth, comfort, and reminder of who we are. It's there in the presence of God, the psalmist Asaph finally realizes that he was not without sin. He's like, he re- the whole time, he's like, I'm good, they're bad, they should, they should suffer, I should be doing well. And after spending time in the sanctuary and his heart is realigned, he, he, he reflects on his own self. And he finally realizes in verse 21, 22, I was the bitter one. My heart was not in the right place. I was ignorant. I was like a beast towards you, God. Verse 23, 26, he says, you, on the other hand, have been utterly faithful. You hold my right hand. Verse 24, you guide me. Verse 24, my future is secure in you. You are my strength, my portion. You are my refuge. Perhaps there's some of us in this room that it's been a long time since we really felt connected to God. You've come to church, you've gone to this community group, 
done different things, but perhaps even when you've done all that, you really felt like you haven't connected to, with God in a genuine way in a, in a long time. And perhaps just like the psalmist, we've experienced something deeply painful and tragic, and those experiences have created doubts about whether we really believe God is actually good. And when you find yourself in that weird place, not being able to completely walk away, yet at the same time not sure if you truly want to continue to pursue, if that's you, Psalm 73 is for you. And friends, I pray that you'll see that God is present in our doubt, in our struggles, in our anger. In fact, he is holding your right hand, just like Asaph realizes later, God, you've been there the whole time. You're holding my hand. You're holding my future. You are my portion. You are my strength. And it doesn't matter how far you feel from God or how angry you may feel towards him. Because God's, Scripture reminds us God's commitment to you have never changed and will not change because his commitment to you is not dependent on your commitment to him. In that picture, it's God who's holding us. And verse 6 will end here. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, portion forever. Friends, isn't this the gospel? Our flesh and our hearts have utterly failed God. Yet Jesus came into our world, our broken world, to replace the old temple, right? The Gospel of John reminds us He is the new wine. He is the new temple. And with Jesus' arrival, there was a profound transformation that took place. And he, pro- he proclaimed himself to be the new temple, representing the direct connection between humanity and God. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection became the ultimate sacrifice, bridging the very gap that existed between us and God himself. And only through faith in him, we now find our spiritual dwelling within Jesus. And it becomes the living sanctuary where hearts are transformed, sins are forgiven, everlasting communion with God is made possible. And friends, this is why despite our questions and doubts and frustration and anger and whatever you may be feeling, we can join the psalmist in verse 28. For me, it is good to be near God. But here's a wonderful reality. We're not simply near him anymore. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. And this very Holy Spirit renews you and I only if we're willing to come to him and say, Lord, I got got something to talk to you about. And not everything is okay. And God says, let's talk. Let's talk about it. Amen? Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for just scripture. What a gift that you have given us. And Lord, thank you that you're not phased by our doubts. You're not phased by our anger. You do not reject us. 
And Lord, we just pray if anyone is struggling, struggling with you, struggling to trust you, struggling to be in the right place with you, would you remind us today that you're still committed to us, that you still love us. Thank you for the word. Just let me pray. Amen. Friends, we're going